0: so uh for our friends at coca-cola who are listening um you can't see it because it's a podcast but eduardo <laughs> doesn't just talk the talk he walks the walk in the middle of his comments he took a swig from a bottle of coca-cola so <laughs> um, shout out to to a great fifa partner um, This was
1: later in the day it would have been a budweiser
0: but you know <laughs> it's yeah. after talking to us you may need one uh, <laughs> Welcome to Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we talk about the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and yes, even sometimes a serious look at the industry. He's DP. I'm your co-host, McGee. Welcome to the show. David, what's on your mind today?
2: Well, it seems like there's a spate of major teams that are uh, may come up for sale, and the big one here in the United States is news that we've bounced around on this show quite a bit, and that is that Danny Snyder, Daniel Snyder, I should call him by his formal name, shouldn't I? I thought maybe you had this
0: sense of familiarity with him that you felt comfortable calling him Danny.
2: Yes. (laughs) That's it. That's the ticket he has apparently hired bank of america to uh, to help people are speculating uh, on a sale of a team of the team of the washington commanders and there has been growing pressure it seems in among nfl owners um and as these investigations both from the nfl and from congress have kind of circled in on him that there would be no love loss should he give up the reins of that team. And I think his sale is always probably the easiest one, meaning they don't have to, you know, take any action. They don't have to do anything that could come back on them. He sells a team and he makes a ridiculous amount of money, which he would, and, uh, and everyone moves on. Um, but, you know, short of, of booting them or getting the votes among the owners to uh, to to kick him out, this is a heck of a solution. So after saying that he would never do it and that the, the Washington commanders would never leave the hands of uh, Daniel Snyder and family, it looks like that is indeed a possibility. And of course, uh, we're already getting rumors on who has put their hat in for interest in it. And that seems to be led by uh, Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos. Uh, Who seems to be teamed up with Jay Z and Matthew McConaughey? Um, I don't know where exactly. I mean, you know, they just come out of the woodwork now. But you know, a Jay Z Bezos uh, combo—that's a—that's a a pretty big powerhouse right there for uh, for ownership in an NFL team.
0: Yeah, and keep in mind, though, Daniel Snyder is the guy who said he'd never change the name from the Washington Redskins either. So, um,
2: yeah, yeah. This one, I think, took this. This one, I will never sell the team. To hiring a bank was a couple weeks. I think that I'll never change the name from the Washington Redskins was more like a year and a half. So the window is getting a little shorter uh, on those time. But yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, situations and pressures mount. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We know that Jim Irsay of the of the Colts, um, who has his own interesting past, um, has said, "I don't right." (laughs) And he he um, he doesn't want to let this go. I mean, he really wants to, he's, he has wanted to push owners. It sounds like uh, to try to take action against Snyder and uh, get the, get the Washington team to uh, move past their current owner.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Jim Irsay for a moment. The guy who hired Jeff Saturday to, as interim coach to replace Frank Reich, who has had five different starting quarterbacks the last five seasons. Yeah. So, while the Bucks does stop with the coach, right? Let's let's put some blame where it also belongs with the GM. But Jim Arce, in introducing Jeff Saturday, who's in the Ring of Honor and was Peyton Manning's center for all those years, a great player, apparently a great clubhouse presence, great leader, has absolutely zero collegiate or professional coaching experience, and and coached a private school in in Georgia, which had a losing record during his tenure. Uh, but Jim Ursay said, well, it's not, it's not difficult. We're not, we're not launching rocket ships. Uh, look at, look at any NFL playbook. Oh, and by the way, they also fired the coordinators, the guys who would be calling the defensive and off- defensive schemes and the offensive plays. So Jeff Saturday between now and Sunday, they don't have a bye this week, mind you, has got to figure out who's going to call the plays. Uh, he's going to have to figure out who his players are, who his personnel is all of this stuff. It's uh, it. it It's crazy. uh...
2: And and given all that, for some weird reason, I still am looking very forward to what I suspect will be a really cool before the end of the season, Jeff Saturday, Jim Mora style Colts rant. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from or what it's going to be about. But for some reason, it feels like he's the kind of guy that can deliver that. You know, you didn't even mention the protocols that are supposed to be in place when it comes to hiring. Now, granted, this is a an position and they probably, you know, just bypassed all of that, but probably would have been a nice nod to at least have considered a few other, uh, other candidates. Well, um, we don't,
0: we, we don't know if he did or he didn't, um, uh, before he made the decision to let Frank Reich go, but I do think it's a slap in the face to any number of coaches with experience, uh, particularly coaches of color, right? Cause if you know, th- think about it. Um, the Colts did have the first ever African-American winning coach in a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy. So it, it, historically they have been trailblazers in a certain respect, but in this particular case, they didn't, it appears, give any consideration to person of color for this coaching position. But like I said, maybe they did before they made the decision to let Frank Wright go. And for whatever reason, Jeff, or Jim Ursay thought Jeff Saturday, a guy with zero coaching experience, is the right person to lead the yeah. team for the rest of the season.
2: And they beat the chiefs this year. Yeah. Which is pretty remarkable. Cause the team is, is pretty bad. Um, but yeah, no, he's it'll, I, I mean, listen, I don't think the expectation is that they're, you know, going anywhere. And so it's a move to try to uh, appease fans. I would imagine who I'm sure loved Jeff Saturday.
0: So then bring him back and do personal appearances in the tailgate. Don't put him on the sideline and set the guy up for, for failure. Yeah, at the very least, you should have left the coordinators in place.
2: Well, Jim Irsay is all about the rock and roll, so I guess we'll have to see if uh, if he right. if he nails on this one. But there is well, another big team that is uh, investigating potential sale, and this one this one was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, it's a team I pull for in Premier League, uh, Liverpool Football Club. And uh, their ownership, the Fenway Group, um, has said that it uh, it may be looking at a sale, and um, you know we'll have to see why. And I think people are starting to speculate what that might mean. What are your thoughts on that as a as a global football fan? It
0: it has to me come out of the blue, sort of. Um, you know, uh, my first question is why sell? Why sell now? What's precipitating this decision to try to? sell the team right so um you know apparently it's it's going to go for upwards of four and a half billion dollars so the the owners of fenway sports group will make a, a pretty nice return on their investment so from that perspective it makes sense but it, it just it, I, I i don't know the reasoning at this point maybe they feel like they've topped out the value of the club which i tend to doubt maybe they need some cash to uh make another investment because they have talked about trying to bring in that nba team to las vegas um maybe they maybe they are a, a dark horse shooter for the commanders i don't know
2: yeah it could be a couple things the you know lebron is part of their organization um which is if you've ever seen him wearing an lfc mm-hmm. uh, scarf that's the reason why LeBron has made it very clear he wants to be an owner of an NBA team and so that could make some sense uh that there's some discussion there about flushing up some cash and and make sure that they're able to be in position to uh to do that uh the Chelsea sale went through at a certain number and I think people would speculate that it would be around or at that amount I honestly think it'll end up going a little higher but we'll we'll have to see now they also just have not been playing particularly well in uh in league this year uh though had a nice win this weekend so that was good that doesn't have anything to do with it i mean i think liverpool has such a global following that uh, mm-hmm. the number is going to be big and they're gonna they're gonna make a ton of money on on it yeah. if they sell it now or next year or whenever
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see who buys it right the middle eastern mm-hmm. money obviously will be at the table as will you know hedge fund billionaires from here in the states yeah and maybe maybe this is an opportunity to sell to a a British group, right? Which is right. Um, not bought the last several teams that have been up for sale, including right. Chelsea,
2: right? Which I'm sure would make um, you know obviously fans in the in the UK pretty happy. Yep. You know, uh, the investment in the sports business is just rolling, right? I mean, you're you're hearing um, you know money coming into to sports and new ventures. Uh, at a, at quite honestly, an incredible rate. Uh, earlier this week or last week, uh, got news that uh, TMRW Sports, which is the group that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy had, just took on a number of uh, of big name uh, investors. You know, to build a war chest, basically to you know put on the programming that uh, that they expect to. So that's a, a you know that's a big force to be. Uh, taking a look at. And interestingly, Fenway Sports Group is one of the companies that actually invested uh, in that along with Excel and, and various other groups. Um, they got some money. I mean, people still want a piece of Tiger um, and Rory as kind of the the new leader of the tour, if you will, I think is a, is a name that people want to be associated with. So hopefully the programming and what they develop, you know, is uh, worthy of this type of investment that, uh, and attention that, uh, that they're getting. I'm excited to see what, uh, what they're able to pull off.
0: I am too. Um, and, uh, I think that's smart money, uh, that's
2: going into TM or W. Um, well, what would you say isn't so smart money?
0: Well, let me think about this now there are rival pickleball organizations as if the market can support two separate pickleball entities right most recently we heard that mark cuban invested into vibe pickleball which is part of the uh, tom dundon's organization the pro pickleball association not to be confused with Major League Pickleball, of course. But uh, can we right. just say that Tom Dundon, right, he's a, a billionaire, right? I believe he's a billionaire, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his last name, Dundon, is the sound effect from every scene transition in the entire Law and Order franchise. <laughs> right going back over 25 years.
2: So, and, and I, and maybe that's where he made his money. Mu- maybe that's where they so, made his, maybe, you where, license, maybe where he made his money. License never, that,
0: right? Every every time they change scenes in a Law well, and Order show, and they go Dun Dun. Well, he gets paid.
2: Well, Dun uh, Dun is the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL, and mm-hmm. um yeah, so he is he is moneyed, and obviously his bet. He was one of the early guys on the pickleball thing, but this train is just so. Crazy. I mean, it's yeah, like it's... it's it's Ozzy Osbourne level crazy train <laughs> shit going on here, um as as far as I think we see it, and not. And this isn't a knock on pickleball because you know some people have come to us, some uh, mostly you, they've come to you <laughs> mostly, and hit you over on the popularity of pickleball, and no one's denying that it may be the best best recreational game to play there ever was that ever was.
0: Uh, And and as I said, if that, and I do, I do not dispute the growth in numbers of participation, but if you want to make money, then invest in the apparel companies that make pickleball garb, invest in the equipment companies that make pickleball paddles or rackets or whatever you call it, right? And, and our mutual friend, Keith Cutler suggested because it tends to attract an older player invest in things like Advil or Ben Gay, or uh, you know you want to invest in uh, Icy Hot to, you know that our friend uh, Shaquille O'Neal um uh, one, touts. Of, one
2: of his many one of his many yeah, uh, investment yeah. but here this is this is interesting because the most recent news on this which is taking this now to another whole level is not corporate sponsorship, but corporate direct investment and team ownership. No idea what the what the money is in this, by the way. But but listen to this Anheuser, Busch, InBev, the latest to make a, a major investment, and they're acquiring, they're acquiring the final team in the expansion of major league pickleball there was an expansion they started and they had a, they had an expansion market i guess and ab has the last team in that expansion group so don't
0: don't even get me started on how diluted the talent is now going to be with this yeah. with this too rapid expansion
2: i was listening of, to of a team with-
0: sport that you uh don't think should be a team sport
2: I was listening to an interview uh, regarding Formula One, and they were uh, uh, earlier today on a podcast, and they were talking about um, whether Formula One should go from you know ten teams with you know a total of twenty drivers on the grid to maybe adding another team, so it would go to twenty-two. And they're like, no, because you got to be careful about diluting the the talent. Twenty in the the, the world—that's all that's on the grid right now—and they're worried about that. Obviously, not the case in pickleball, but I guess when what are we we're, we're probably at 300 and, you know, ten million of the total population of the of the United States is probably already playing, right? Thir- I think it's close well, to 330. That's the thir- po- thir- 330 of oh, the three- population. I'm oh, saying, like, saying 310 million. Like, I'm saying million. based on the numbers I'm hearing in this level <laughs> of investment, I'm assuming that 310 million actually play. Because why else would the bet be so certain of all these people coming in? It seems as though for For something that we don't know if it can capture a television audience or, or, you know, command attendance or sell merch, that the investment in the pro league and expansion teams and two competitive leagues, it does seem, it does seem like it's out of hand. I mean, Uh, and and it seems like everybody with money or involved in sports like is on a weird FOMO kit, right?
0: Well, let me, let me just, Say, I, I think a better description than two competitive leagues, which could be uh, seen to imply that the leagues themselves have competitive players in it, right? It's two, I, I would rather say it's two leagues that compete with one another right because we've already talked about how diluted the talent is
2: correct if this was a written out thing i would have made sure my <laughs> punctuation was was okay no, to I'm just, communicate I'm, that I'm, point but thank I'm just, you <laughs> i'm
0: i'm i'm not trying to make fun of you i'm trying to make fun of the fact that how many world class pickleball players are actually out there right now you know and uh, but but kids remember Drink your oval tea and get to sleep, get your homework done so you can get out to the pickleball court. Would
2: Would we even know, has there been enough pickleball playing so far in the world to even know where the hotbeds are? Who's going to be the best? I'm assuming the best pickleball player in the world. The person that will be the best pickleball player in the world either hasn't even heard of the sport yet or certainly hasn't picked up a paddle. And I think part of the appeal of it is that it's pretty easy to do, right? I, so I think you, that's so. What appeal. you're
0: saying is there's there's some young who, Tiger Woods of pickleball out there who has yet to discover the sport.
2: Well, let's let's who's playing this? Like, who's driving the sales of this sport right now? Is it is it kids in their athletic prime? I mean, that's, I'd like to think I can go out and like I'm assuming I could play pickleball. Easier than I can go out and play full court basketball right now, or play tennis for that matter.
0: Yes, which I couldn't really do
2: anyway. But um, but you know, at a point in my life, I could. But and I'm not saying I would be good. But I'm assuming if if the best athletes start attracting, and maybe that's the appeal of the Tom Brady and the LeBron James and the Kevin Durant's and the Kim Kleisters and all these and the Drew Breeses that are investing in this sport will start appealing to. You know, athletes to pick pickleball over baseball or golf yeah. or basketball. Yeah,
0: I, I, I'd be interested to see the average, the meet, the median age of a pickleball player of a, of a recreational pickleball player. Right, I have to believe it's fairly old. Right, when I say fairly old, I mean you know, thirties to forties. Right? right, meaning certainly, not young. <laughs> certainly, certainly not. Not the age at which somebody would be at the prime of their athletic career.
2: So if you look around and you see that the, the if if I'm growing up in the suburbs and I'm going to my local park and I see mostly 30, 40, and 50-year-olds playing pickleball. Could be wrong. I live in the city. I don't see that.
0: Yeah, so I think the first guys
2: is the first inclination is that's the sport I need to pick up. So that's my point. If this thing sticks, we don't know who the best players are. And the right. people that are playing it now and playing in the in this pro tour, and if this thing sticks, they're not going to be playing next year because like the best athletes that haven't even started playing this game will start playing the game. I don't know how fast it could go. We remind you it's a paddle that hits a plastic wiffle ball and it makes a weird little clack sound. I mean, how uh, I, I should say this? I'm always shocked to see how fast the the badminton birdie can go when I watch Olympic badminton. So, the shuttlecock. The shuttlecock.
0: Yeah, I think the first thought that a young person sees when they come across a pickleball game somewhere is probably, "Okay, boomer," right? That's probably their first thought. Well, like, I, I don't think their 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 thought is. Uh, Wow, that's a cool sport. Let me pick that up.
2: But but listen, we're the ones we're the ones in the minority here. So we're kind of maybe swimming upstream on this stuff because I see more I see more social media posts, particularly on LinkedIn, which is probably says something, um, yeah. about about pickleball. It seems like the entire industry is now selling pickleball. Yeah. We're gonna have to have someone on the show.
0: So let's let's talk about Kyrie Irving for a minute, if you don't mind. a lot has happened over the last week or so. Um we discussed it on on the last episode but Kyrie was uh was suspended for a minimum of five games and joe sai the brooklyn nets owner imposed six conditions uh on Kyrie in order for him to even be considered to be reinstated including things like apologizing and denouncing the anti-semitic film taking sensitivity training donating money meeting with um jewish groups like the adl uh remember that Kyrie was a guy who refused to take a, a safe and effective vaccine, right? So if he wouldn't take that one step to stay on the court, how is he going to do all six of these? And he's certainly not going to be able to do all of them within five games. So um, kudos to Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, for taking a strong stand that, for whatever reason, the league did not take. Um, but I, I'm not going to be surprised if Kyrie Irving doesn't get back on the court for quite some time if at all this year for the for the Brooklyn Nets
2: I concur I was actually going to ask you what your thoughts were on that because uh, I I, I'm suspecting that uh, that he won't and maybe it's fine with him and uh, who knows someone will probably sign him at some point down the road uh, when that uh, when when the the you know, when everything clears on this, but I, but I don't know, I don't know if it will, I mean, you know, beyond his positions and the, the way he handled all this, he's just a constant distraction. Anyway, it, it you know, it, this is, this is the big one, but he was a distraction on the vaccine and he hurt the team mm-hmm. for making the decision he did. I mean, he can make the decision that he wanted to make. No, but uh, he did hurt, he did hurt the he team he, because but he of the lack of continuity. But he hurt the team and i never looked into it enough to because i i didn't care to because it was so ridiculous to me i never looked into so closely when he you know made the flat earth claim or flat earth comment some some years ago but this is what we're dealing with with this guy um yeah, and and I, I i don't know if it's all about he just likes to draw attention um i don't think that's what it is i just think he's a, I think he's he's this type of guy and he he to some degree got forced into this apology, but the apology certain wasn't wasn't enough. And if you go back and look at his first press conference on this issue and he was being asked very fair questions, tough, but very fair questions from a reporter. And and it was just the, the level of uh, um, kind of derision sent back to this reporter was just kind of, uh, you know, classic what I think this guy is. And so, yeah, I'm not thinking he's uh, he's coming back anytime soon, if at all, this season.
0: When you, in general, right? Uh, I'm not saying that he can't be redeemed and he can't sort of see the error in his ways. But in general, what I have seen is that people who have these outrageous views, like the earth is flat, like the, the, the believing the Holocaust didn't occur, it's very difficult to educate those people so that they truly see the error in their thoughts before, like uh, you know, most people, you you have a particular view on a subject, and and you know maybe it's based on your individual perspective, maybe it's based on superficial knowledge. Uh, you haven't really looked into it, but then most people, if they are shown that their that their view is incorrect, that their facts are wrong, have the ability as a mature adult to say, okay, maybe I was wrong about that. I think when you hold views that are so far out there I think it's very difficult to get those people to admit they're wrong right I don't know what drives those beliefs in the in the first place but I do think that it's very difficult for them to get them to see the error of their ways and go you know what you're right and and I and I now I see the earth is round i can't even believe i'm saying that right you know you're you're right the earth is round right
2: i think he likes to be say you know i'm doing my own research he's you know he says that which i think if you look at shots from space it's pretty apparent i mean all
0: all you have to look at is the Verizon (laughs) narrows bridge which was the start of the new york city marathon this past weekend and that is actually slightly curved because it's so long it's slightly curved. To uh, to adapt to the curvature of the Earth, right? And then, right. But to your point, all you have to do is look at the the the, the photographs from from the Apollo missions fake, or other all space fake,
2: All fake, I guess. All fake. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Know, I know. But you know, listen. Having a view like that uh, is harmless, right? Having a, a view that the having a view that the Earth is flat is a relatively harmless incorrect belief. Having a belief that the Holocaust never happened. Is dangerous, potentially very dangerous, right? We see we see all of these warnings um, to Jewish Americans to be vigilant, to be careful, um, to synagogues and religious leaders to be on on the on the uh, alert for potential attacks on on their places yep. of worship, right? So so these things can be very very dangerous. Agreed. So, onto a lighter note, some some quick hits.
2: Yeah. Quick hits. We're about to share some tidbits. Things that didn't make it on a main list doesn't mean we think they're not worth a sh- You just mentioned the New York City Marathon, and that was the first quick hit. I just wanted to do a quick shout out. I love this event so much, and it was so nice to see it back to full capacity um, at 50,000, uh, being the largest marathon in the world. And uh, it was a, and just, thousands and thousands of people around the city coming out to support it. I uh, uh I had the uh, opportunity to head down toward the finish line in Central Park and see my um my nephew's wife run and uh, my daughter who was in town visiting uh one of her best friend uh finish the race and it, it, it's just such a great celebration of uh of of something that I would never do by the way. Uh, and I gave a lot of thought to that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not motivated to run the marathon, but I'm so impressed with those that do. And so congratulations to all the runners and to the New York road runners that puts this, uh, this great event on. I, I just, I just love it. I know a lot of people probably get driven crazy on marathon day, but, uh, the TCS, uh, New York city marathon is just a, is just a jewel event in my opinion.
0: It's the quintessential sporting event combined with a quintessential New York city event. And, <laughs> and, and putting them together is sort of uh, that overused term of synergy, right? One plus one being much more than right than a quick hit uh, FTX, the um, the cryptocurrency exchange, which had been very, very active in sports sponsorships, um, including the arena in Miami, um, the uh, the patch on Major League Baseball umpires and some other stuff um is being sold to binance um the world's largest uh crypto exchange apparently this morning uh ftx uh stopped withdrawals from their exchange i guess that's the crypto version of a run on the bank um so uh the crypto the crypto crash continues um and like many uh many industries before it, uh, that came in with a loud bang into sponsorships. Um, the future remains uncertain.
2: Yeah. Something we covered on the very first, um, wait, what show, um, uh, uh, back in January, um, was, uh, and on other occasions is that, is there a kind of an exuberance that's a, a little Based not on reality, and I think we're seeing some of this crash down because there was just so much spending. It's a new industry. I think there were always going to be some ups and downs here, um, but the level that was moved, that the level of money that was going into sponsorships was um, it didn't feel warranted to us, um, and I think that's uh, we're we're seeing some of that. Not that not that the reason that you know, this happened with FTX is just because of sponsorship, but certainly they were putting their name on a lot. Properties are going to have to really think twice about, about where they go and and look at this probably as a little different category than they, they originally thought when the money was just absolutely flush. One last quick hit on my side, my, my deepest thoughts and sympathies to the, to the uh, Gibbs family and, uh, and really all of the NASCAR community. Um, Joe and Pat Gibbs Joe, being the the founder, of course of of JGR, Joe Gibbs Racing, um, lost his uh, second son uh, over the weekend. Um, he passed away. Coy Gibbs passed away in his sleep right after his son, Joe's grandson, had won the Xfinity Championship. He, he had won the Xfinity Championship, and you know, I, I've I know Coy. I knew Coy. I knew JD, his older brother, who passed away few years ago at the same age, 49 years old. And, um, this is shocking. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, you know, and it, it, uh, it ended what I think was a very exciting, important year for the sport of NASCAR. And it ended on a bit of a tough note. Um, uh, but congratulations to uh, Joey Logano and the Penske operation, uh, for winning the NASCAR cup championship. Uh, but, a but a special, um, heartfelt. Um, uh, sympathy to uh, to all in the Joe Gibbs operation, um, and uh, of course all that uh, that knew the family and and are touched by this in the sport of NASCAR.
0: Yes, truly a tragedy. Let's take a break now. We're gonna we're gonna come back. We just so our listeners know our guest is somebody that we pre-recorded last week, um, Eduardo Solis from FIFA. So uh, we'll come back in just a moment with Eduardo. So we're really excited to have our guest today. Eduardo Solis has had uh, senior marketing positions at IMG, and Visa. He's currently the head of marketing partnerships at FIFA. As we know that uh, this is a very busy time for Eduardo, so we really appreciate him coming. Uh, Eduardo, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Tim. It's it's a pleasure to be with you guys uh, this morning, this afternoon. It was quite a pleasant surprise when I got a message from you a couple of weeks ago asking me to join your podcast. So uh, a real privilege and honor. Uh, to be with you guys this morning and always good to see you again tim after many years uh during img days yeah
0: <laughs> yeah thank you i enjoyed our time working together and i was surprised to hear back from you not because i thought you'd ghost me but because i know how busy you are so thank you for that and david as you uh, you may realize this is our first international guest
1: uh, wow uh,
2: we we this whole show is based on important watershed moments and and this is going to be marked down as one of them. So uh, That's the very excited, yes. Even more of an honor.
1: <laughs>
2: so let's get started.
0: So uh World Cup kicks off in uh less than three weeks. You're yep. heading over Qatar in, in uh in less than a week. Mm-hmm. What can we look forward to in the upcoming tournament that maybe we haven't seen in past past events? Are there any sponsor activations or innovations that your partners um are going to be executing that we should be paying particular attention to
1: yeah well i I think in terms of just the the world cup and the competition itself i think you know considering the setting um you know it's taking place in in, in qatar which we all know is small country um i think the fans can expect sort of a, a football festival atmosphere yeah i mean you're talking about having the entire competition taking place within a radius of 60 to 70 kilometers. So think about the Olympics, right? When the Olympics rolls into town, it takes place in one host city. In essence, that's what's happening at the World Cup this time around. Yeah. So there's going to be nonstop football on the pitch, obviously. I mean, we're talking about four match days per day through the group stage. So there'll be no shortage of, of excitement and, and no doubt, fantastic football on the pitch. But I think outside of the pitch, I mean, there's going to be tons of uh, you know entertainment and and cultural experiences that the fans will 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 be able to take full advantage of simply because they don't have to travel anywhere you know uh, previously if you were going to see one team in in one city and then that team would play in another host city you'd have to travel so you really wouldn't experience the city as much as you would i think probably this time around so i think it will be quite a tremendous atmosphere i think all the nations coming together in, in one country and in essence one city um, will, will be unprecedented and, and definitely a great overall experience for, for everybody in Qatar. In terms of you know sponsor activations, um, we we've got a lot happening on the ground. You know we've got a, a, a pretty robust portfolio of partners, sponsors, and regional supporters. Um, a lot of them will be focusing their activations at the FIFA Fan Festival, which will be a central destination in Doha at Albeda Park, right? Um, So there'll be lots of entertainment and cultural programming, but on on top of that, the sponsors will have sort of dedicated footprints within that FIFA Fan Festival to bring their brand campaigns and their products and their services to life. You know, so we're excited about having a a good amount of our partners in in this uh, festival, which I think the most that we've ever had actually at the fifa fan festival so that's very promising one in particular one is 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 visa and i'm not going to be i'm not biased here but they have, <laughs> they have they have really pulled out all the stops for this fifa fan festival activation itself uh, it's, it's called visa masters of movement um so the activation combines technology art and football so me or you as a fan that goes into this activation basically goes on to a Mini size pitch and has a kick around, and within that pitch, there's a technology that tracks all of your movements and your passes, right? Linked back to masters of movement and how Visa moves money around, and et cetera, et cetera. That those movements that are captured into data, into data, that data is in essence transformed into a sort of beautiful piece of work or art, and that's then transformed into an NFT. So you literally go through this experience, you play football, your moves are transformed into a piece of art, and then that art is transformed via technology into a takeaway NFT, right? And it's all just kind of, a. it's more about the experience and educating people about what Visa does as an organization, um, but then also trying to, you know, educate them a bit more about sort of the NFT uh, ecosystem and, and environment. So pretty cool a uh, combination of all these different things. And I think super, super exciting. And I think the fans will, will have a, a great experience.
0: Yeah, not not surprising to hear that Visa, and I'm not just sucking up to you because you used to work there, but you and I worked on that business as well. And they've always been at the leading edge of of innovation when it comes to activating around their their partnerships, uh, particularly FIFA and the Olympics and mm-hmm. the NFL here in the United States. So yeah. that's that's yeah. great to hear.
2: And you have to love it you have to love it when we have guest synergy huh tim yeah we (laughs) We had had andrew cohen Cohen. on the show a few weeks ago and and got to talk about some of the some of the planning so it was great to hear it even more detail from the other side of that equation um yeah i want to take a a little broader step here uh go go back look at it from a little more 30 uh, thousand feet in 2016 fifa laid down a very bold plan the vision fifa 2.0 as we approach the end of 2022 and are about to hit a World Cup, how would you uh, how would you rate how FIFA has done against those very aggressive plans, and particularly in the area of building the sport even more globally? Yeah, that's that's
1: a that's a good question. I mean, I think this is kind of the first time that sort of this type of vision had been put forth. I think coming off of the last um, you know uh, administration, it was very Obvious that the that the new administration wanted to set a clear sort of vision, mission, and, and roadmap for what we were aiming to achieve over the course of the, the next cycle in the four years. And I think based on that mission to govern the game, organize competitions and promote the development and the growth of the game, I think, I think the organization has been successful. You know, in, in terms of you know reinvesting in in the game, right? We're talking about you know, 4 billion total investment in the development and education around football with member associations, with competitions um, and the likes, you know, uh, 500 million investment in women's football specifically, right? Or, or, or football infrastructure, I should say. So, and then another 1 billion investment in women's football, right? Organized over 30 competitions over the course of the last 40 years. So, or the last four years, excuse me. So I think in terms of success, at, you know, there was a clear vision, Right. I think everybody within the organization bought into that vision and to that mission. And I think, you know, the organization has has turned around and reinvested um, in into those different areas to allow for again the development and the growth of the game from the from the grassroots level all the way up to the up to the senior level. Right. And that's across men's and women's. So I think, you know, um, the, the idea is to continue down that path. Um, I think coming off of 22, we'll pivot into the new cycle. I think there'll be, you know, probably another sort of, you know, vision, uh, FIFA Vision 3.0, if you will. But I think at its core, we're anchored in in, in sort of the the investment in in grassroots football, all the way up top across men's, women's competitions. So um, I think I think we, we've we've done well and we're tracking well to continue to to, to grow the game globally and
2: develop it. And before. Tim recognizes the fact that that was my question, um, which is nice of him because he always does that. Because you said it was a good question, we have a weird thing. Sorry about that. To do, uh, but I'm curious as to along those same lines, um, and the and your role at uh, FIFA. How do brands fit into that growth, and is that an important aspect when you're talking to them?
1: Yeah, they they, they contribute in many ways, you know, and they're they're a key, absolutely a key stakeholder in that in that development and that growth you know not only by you know marketing and promoting you know the competitions all the way again from under 17s under 20s futsal beach uh, club up to up to national uh level but i think they also you know are very supportive in terms of value and kind i mean we, we get a lot of contribution from the likes of an adidas from the likes of a coca-cola from the likes of a hyundai Kia. You know uh, likes of Qatar Airways, all of them contribute not only monetarily but also value and kind of help support um, those competitions and the development of the game. So it, it, they, they they contribute in a lot of different ways and they're absolutely key stakeholders in in what we're we're looking to to achieve in in terms of the the vision and, and the growth uh, of the game and, and making it you know truly global.'re we're, we're talking about global brands here, right? They touch every corner of the globe so you know they they absolutely amplify our, our mission and our vision and our message um and and i think you know they they they're lockstep with with the idea to to again continue to to grow the game to to develop the game to provide opportunity um you know and impact society through the power of football um and the list goes on and on so um, we've got to, we're, we're we're really you know obviously fortunate to have uh some of the sponsors that we have you know um, they some of them have been long-term sponsors. Some of them are relatively new, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think they, they, they understand that it's a, it's a, a collective, um, effort and it, and it is a partnership and we need to identify synergies and opportunities, right. And have some, va- you know, value exchange in order to sort of meet both sides, uh, uh, objectives, you know, both brand objectives and business objectives.
0: For our friends at Coca-Cola who are listening, um, you can't see it cause it's a podcast, but Eduardo doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk in the middle of his comments. He took a swig from a bottle of Coca-Cola. So <laughs> uh, shout out to to a great
1: FIFA partner. This um, was later in the day. It would have been a Budweiser, but, you know.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. After talking to us, you may need one. Um, <laughs> so earlier you said that uh, this year's tournament will be played within 60 to 70 kilometers. Um yeah. Looking forward to 2026, it's a much different model, right? We're going to be across three countries. So which do you think will be a more common structure going forward? Will it be something that's more centralized where you can have more of that festival atmosphere, or do you see it more broadly um, played across countries or across a region so that um, one country doesn't have to bear the entire cost
2: Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: more countries can participate where do you see it going after 2026
1: well I think it's trending in 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 the way of of co-hosting right you look at 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup you've got Mm -hmm. Australia New Zealand you alluded to 2026 you've got USA Canada and Mexico you know uh, looks like, you know, there, there are co-hosting bids that are being lined up now for 2030, likes of like Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine. Um, so it looks like a, a, at the World Cup level, if you will, at the senior level, um, you know, you'll probably start to see more and more co-hosting bidding, right, to, to sort of sp- spread it out in in many ways, you know, not only from sort of the the, the, the commitment, the financial commitment, and the in- investment that's required to to deliver, you know, such an event, but I think also to allow for more people to experience the game and give more people the opportunity to participate in the World Cup and, and have potentially have it in their home country. So <clears throat> I think it will continue to trend in, in in that direction. I will say, though, that potentially at the, at the youth level, potentially it's more consolidated, right? Potentially it's more of a, a festival uh, environment, right? Because um, then you don't put so much strain on on the host countries. And... You say, okay, we're going to have it in this country and we're going to host it in one city and, and we're going to have all the teams sort of located centrally in this area so it doesn't put a strain on infrastructure, on investment, on, on, on you know, transport and the likes. Um, so, if you you, you know, it, we'll see how it plays out. But I could see it where the national level, senior national level, becomes a co-hosted uh, environment maybe the youth ones becomes more centralized. Interesting you know i mean that's very common in the us right when you go to youth tournaments i remember playing you know little league and i would show up you know in tampa or st louis or something and we just roll up into a a baseball complex and that's where the tournament took place over the course of seven or ten days right and everybody just stayed in and around that area and it was just easy to get in and out compete have multiple matches per day um so it was just easier to 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 deliver and operate.
2: So in addition to football being the world's most popular sport, FIFA, the video game, has been the most yeah. popular sports video game, yeah. spawning competitions and so forth. So it's a, a huge force in the uh, in the eSports space and in the gaming space. Um, given the decision not to renew that deal with EA Sports, what can fans of that game expect? What might we see coming out? Uh, from FIFA in terms of uh, in terms of products and video game products that help with the reach and help with the engagement of uh, of the sport.
1: Yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's a space that we feel has tremendous upside um, and potential. Um, you know, and we we still you know have the partnership with EA through twenty three, so we'll continue to develop that game for next year. We'll have our FIFA e competitions with them uh, next year as well. You know, and in parallel, we're we're obviously exploring what other opportunities there are in in e gaming outside of the simulation space, right? With with which we have with EA now, we understand that there's a you know uh, a mass appeal for the simulation uh, space for sure. We're not just going to kind of walk away from that, but we just need to understand what the landscape looks like moving forward, how it's developing, how it's evolving, and also exploring other areas within e-gaming. I mean, you saw a couple of weeks ago, we made an announcement about our partnership with Roblox, right? So we're, we're exploring different avenues in essence, you know, and that's what it came down to at the end of the day. We wanted to be able to, <clears throat> to look at different opportunities through a different lens, not just focused on on simulation football. Um, and I think, as I said, you know that Roblox partnership is, is tremendous, tremendous opportunity for us um, to, again, to explore a different platform to engage with a different uh, base, um, right? And so that's that's kind of the the, the idea moving forward, right? Um, and see and see how how things things evolve. And and you guys know, I mean, it's a fast evolving ecosystem. Right. One day it's this is in, the next day it's something else. So you have to be pretty agile and and, and open to to collaborating with with various developers or publishers, if if it makes sense. If it makes sense from a, from a brand perspective and from a product
2: perspective and so on and so forth. So in an attempt to sound like a reporter, when the news broke some time ago on this, my prediction was that there was going to be a big announcement in Qatar around this. Any any no. news to break? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> no, <laughs> not <unfortunately>, to us. <laughs>
1: unfortunately, no, no, no news, news to report on that. Other than you know, again, we feel there, there's there's tremendous opportunity there, and and I think we have a, a dedicated team and a dedicated vertical to the e gaming space and e football space. So those guys are hard at work. You know, again, exploring, uh, conversing, and, and looking for for different opportunities to expand that sort of e gaming portfolio.
0: FIFA has stated that it wants to impact society through football, a noble and and certainly a very um, ambitious goal. Uh, In what ways have you guys been able to do that?
1: Um, I think there's a couple of different ways that we've, we've approached it. Um, You know, I think one particular uh, initiative that comes to mind right away is a football for schools uh, initiative. And since multi-million dollar commitment to develop a program that would be accessible to, um, you know, member associations, but not direct or, or exclusively to member associations, but it was in essence a partnership with member associations, ministries of sport, ministries of education, to create a program that would utilize football to, again, impact society and, and youth within sort of maybe lesser developed uh, communities, right, and use football to bring them together, but then leverage that to to provide them with sort of soft skills, life skills, right. And that I think is a program that is, is very roots in, 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 in terms of just how it's set up, but I, we think super impactful because it again, it not only just directly Um, correlates with the member associations but it brings in different entities of government, specifically education and sport. So it's this collaborative effort between FIFA member associations and other sort of governmental agencies within said countries that, that, that can leverage this program and it's subsidized ultimately by FIFA, right? So it's not an investment that's required from the ministries or an investment that's required from the member associations, it's just a simple sort of application process. Hey, we're interested in this, you know, there's certain qualifications that need to be met based on those you're approved and then you're sort of granted, um, this program. And then we support the rollout of that program in terms of equipment, right. In terms of, um, there's been an application that's been developed in order for, you know, me as a PE teacher in, you know, Somalia to be able to have access to the sort of the, um, the curriculum, if you will. Right. And you kind of work off of that, you know, we'll bring in and we'll bring in legends to sort of launch the program to get people excited about it. So that's one particular program that that we've gotten off the ground over the last couple of years. Again, a a collective effort internally from 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 the commercial side, the marketing side, the FIFA Foundation side, uh, in close collaboration with the member association team, Um, you know, tremendous support from Adidas, our partner in terms of providing product, you know, procuring product, I think over, you know, Upwards of 10 million balls that have been procured and are going to be distributed over the course of the next like five to 10 years. So, wow. massive project and and again uh, a great sort of initiative in terms of you know using football um, to impact and help you know society and, and and the less fortunate. So that's just one example.
2: Yeah, I want to hook on that a little bit because there's been a very visible growth in the women's game. Uh, NWSL just wrapped up their season, their, you know, a tremendous season with some controversy here in the United States. Obviously, we've seen mm-hmm. these FC Barcelona uh, matches with massive crowds, as well as the, the women's Euros just doing, you know, gangbusters in yeah. both viewership and attendance. Um, has that growth opened up significant commercial opportunities for you uh, and for FIFA? And, and how are you capitalizing on that growth?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's opened up a lot of opportunities, right? It's, it's opened doors and allowed for the women's football department at, at FIFA in particular, led by our, our chief women's football officer, Sarai Behrman to establish sort of a strategy around how to, 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 to grow the women's game anchored in a lot of sort of, you know, league development, talking about, you know, capacity for building for administration um, coach education scholarship. So it, it, it's again, anchored sort of in, 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 in the, the development, and the opportunity for, for growth. Right. I mean, we know that the potential is there and we want to seize the moment, but if you just jump on top, right. And assume that you're going to ride that wave into bliss, I think it's probably not the right approach. So we've kind of taken it from the ground. And try to use the momentum and the growth, and try to build it out and give it some substance. I mean, I think, and and I think that's sort of, you know, the 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 message and and the approach that we have with partners in terms of the commercial element, right? Um, it has to be anchored in something meaningful. We don't want to just jump on the bandwagon, and we don't want brands to hop on the bandwagon now because it looking it's there for the taken with with the success of fifa women's world cup 2019 in france the success of euro just coming off of the uk everybody wants a piece of the action now and it's trying to sort of understand what is sort of the brand's objective right what is in terms of a brand in terms of a business and how does that fit within the women's football landscape right where are the synergies where are the opportunities so we can actually create a, a meaningful and impactful partnership in terms of how we how we you know we leverage You know um the the, the women's game and and the growth the exponential you know the, the the crazy growth that it's had over the course of the last three years and and what we we feel will will only continue to grow in terms of you know participation which is key 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 um you know attendance is also massive and then and then viewership as we all know right i mean i think those three things are are the core to 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 continue to to grow the game and 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 being able to commercialize it um, in a sustainable way.
0: So let's go back to the the event that's uh, happening in Qatar later this month. <laughs> the event, like it's a, <laughs> like it's, a, like, like it's like it's a uh, U yeah, twelve festival. <laughs> you know the event. Um, no, but if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time in the history of uh, the Men's World Cup that the event, the tournament, is not being played um, during the summer, yeah. uh, Northern Hemisphere summer. Right. right so um have there been uh, any unforeseen implications of moving that timeline beyond obviously what's uh, been disrupting you know uh, leagues around the world mm-hmm.
1: yeah I, I i don't think there's been too much disruption i think it it has it has i think was a bit challenging in terms of How do we approach it, considering it falls during a different window of the year than it has traditionally? I think brands had to assess, oh, how does this actually now work for me as a brand if I'm an NFL sponsor? Right. And a World Cup sponsor. How does that impact my my brand campaign? How does that impact my product rollout? So they had to quickly, I mean, I think and they've known well in advance that this was happening in November, December. It's not like we sprung it on them last year and they had to scramble. So over time, they've been able to assess kind of any potential impact that it has on their BAU um, and, and, and adjusted accordingly, right? In order to find a balance where it doesn't disrupt, you know, you're, you're in the U.S., obviously with Thanksgiving, holiday, and then Christmas, uh, really uh, a good part of the world, you know, there, there are tradition, those are traditional moments in time for brands and businesses where they, they lean into. That holiday, right? Uh, energy and excitement and, and 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 purchasing power. So they've had to kind of try to marry the two to say, like, okay, how can we leverage our partnership maybe into that? You know, look at what Fox is doing, right, in terms of promoting the World Cup, right? Tis the season for the World Cup, so it's a great play in in the sense of like, hey, we've got NFL going on, but it is you know tis the season for the World Cup, and so they've they've managed to strike a balance there from an organizational standpoint you know, the only thing I could say, and that just from, you know, personal um, uh, experiences, pushing it to November, December has, in essence, given us a much shorter window and runway to get ourselves prepared for the Women's World Cup, Mm -hmm. which is next summer. Traditionally, it was in the summer 2022, which gave us a year to then get ourselves prepared for the Women's World Cup the following summer. Now we're on the tail end of 2022. We come out of this, and we've got an, a seven-month runway to get prepared for the Women's World Cup. So that—that that, you know, I think from an organizational standpoint, you know, planning standpoint, resources standpoint has 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 been something that we've had to sort of navigate um, in order to give the Women's game and the Women's World Cup the, the attention, you know, uh, the investment and and the resources that it requires to to take it to that next level coming off of 2019.
2: So before we let you go, Eduardo. <laughs> We have some really tough closing questions. <laughs> and I hope you're ready. <laughs> so the first, <laughs> the first one. Where career started
1: Where to start As he mm-hmm.
2: takes a swig of Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have that coke guest on, Tim, I think. Yeah. I think. I think I just sealed the deal.
1: It, 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 listen, I, I happen to be at the right place at the right time, I guess. I, I, I was I was at at the Paul University in Chicago finishing up my last term and I started to do some sort of some some DMC work, some destination.
2: Wait what? This is a wait what moment. I'm sorry, because now I have to ask and now I feel like an idiot. This is this shows you, you know, potentially our lack of preparedness. Your, when, when, your lack of preparation <laughs> oh, I thought we were in this together, brother. Um, <laughs> not on this one. <laughs> so oh, I got, well. I mean, I got my start. My first job after my internship was at DePaul University. Oh, really? So that's making the connection. Yeah. We'll connect, we'll connect after this and, and talk about some connections I still have there. Anyway, sorry for the interruption, but I no, felt so, that was.
1: Right place at the right time, guys be. So DMC. So, right. I, 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 yeah, DMC gets my foot in the door with Sportsmark in San Francisco, run mm-hmm. by our, our friend uh, Jan, who you guys right. know, right? I, I they, give, they cut me a break, say, hey, we need some help uh, at the Super Bowl. I think this was 98 in Tampa Bay. We've got a client, Sports Illustrated. We need you to work on this project, in essence, doing transportation. I end up doing – transportation for what i thought was going to be snoop dog because that was the that was the, the the entertainment for the sports illustrated party he gets caught he gets in trouble <laughs> as i pulls him and, and then they bring in kanye west who who was a nobody at the time who <laughs> was definitely not causing problems at the time <laughs> and so, so here i am running transportation for sports mark on the sports illustrated project at the super bowl in tampa bay and I'll say the rest is history. Next thing I knew, I was in Sydney for the two thousand Olympics, working for Sportsmark, Then two thousand two uh, Winter Games in Salt Lake Park City. Then Athens in two thousand four, and then there was no turning back. And then at that point, I just started meeting people, networking, understanding what the business was all about. And yeah, and then it just yeah it took on a life of its own.
0: So before David asks you your last question, a couple things come to mind. Number one. Um, who who would have who would have thought that we would have got a Kanye West reference number one, and and number two, look at Snoop and look at Kanye, and who would have thought? Talk about Snoop would have become the paragon of virtue, the 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 guy who's looked at by mainstream brands all over. The world 100%. to be a spokesperson
2: for, 100%. So. A, a brand ambassador of the highest level right now, and a Super Bowl performer. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, Snoop, yeah. and I, I'm not sure you would have even predicted that as much insight I, as I'm sure you have. Do honestly, uh,
1: right <laughs> place at the right time. Guys.
2: <laughs> right. The last question is, and maybe it's being at the right place at the right time, but one piece of advice that you'd like to offer uh, to somebody looking to break into the sports industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, take every opportunity you can, right? Um, and be curious, right? And listen, because all you need is, is is that foot in the door. And then, you know, the world is your oyster. I mean, I've I've been around the world, you know, tenfold, all because I, you know, one day had the opportunity to be a transportation coordinator at a Super Bowl party that had nothing to do with my my educational background or, or, or even if that's what I wanted to do. But I, I was curious and I thought it was a good, you know, interesting opportunity. And I, and I seized the moment and I said, I'll go for it. And, and again, everything kind of took off from there. So you, you definitely, you know, um, be curious, I would say, you know, always take an opportunity when it's there because you just don't know what it's going to lead to. And it could be nothing but that's okay you won't ever question the fact that you never took it and what if but if you take it and it leads to other paths you know more power to you um and i think ultimately that that that's always been you know my i've always been anchored in 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 that knowing that like how i started and where i came from and kind of where i'm at and everything that it that it's given me in between you know has been has has been invaluable you know and it it wasn't based on anything other than You know, um, being curious, you know, wanting to learn, wanting to experience and and never saying no to to an opportunity that you thought maybe maybe was beyond me or or was not for me or what I thought I would want to do because you just never know.
0: (laughs) Great advice. I will say this. I will say it wasn't just a question of being in the right place at the right time, maybe for that first opportunity, Eduardo. But you have always been a very thoughtful, strategic uh, thank her, a, a great person with clients so i am not surprised although i'm very happy to see your success we can't uh we can't thank you enough for coming on we wish you the best of luck in the upcoming tournament in qatar safe travels uh let's go
2: wales <laughs> eduardo so wonderful meeting you and best of everything we can't wait to be watching
1: thank you so much gentlemen i, I really 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 appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning um and yeah I, I appreciate the the support and the well wishes as we as i take off on this endeavor in, in qatar for the next six weeks i'm sure it will be a, a, a spectacular spectacular show for, for for the coming months so um look for me on on the tube i'll, I'll be i'll be roaming around there somewhere we will we will Thanks. all right thank you
2: Big thanks to Eduardo Solis. Uh, And with FIFA World Cup set to kick off in less than two weeks, it really was nice to uh, you know begin getting ramped up for that uh, with someone on the inside. So as we come to the end of this week's program, it's time to take a little bit of a look ahead. Tim, what do you have your eye on? So you've been a big fan of the F1 series
0: on Netflix. Um, I went down a slightly different path. I've been watching... On Hulu, Welcome to Wrexham, which is the documentary about awesome. Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds purchase and ownership of Wrexham, a fifth division club and based in the north of Wales. Um, but it's it's a it's a great story. You get to know the, the the residents of Wrexham. You get to know the coaching staff, the players. It's uh, You get to see a little bit about uh, Ryan Reynolds as an entrepreneur and Rob McElhenney. Um, who's most famous for it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but I'm wondering if there's going to be what I call a Wrexham effect in the upcoming world cup. Um, not to be confused with uh, rum by Wrexham effect, the, the Wrexham effect. Um, will there be people who come out and cheer for Wales who happen to play the U S in that first match on uh, November 21st. So that's, I'm interested in seeing if, uh, if Wales gets a following based, at least in part on, on this documentary, welcome to Wrexham. Uh,
2: I would be willing to bet that there will be some of that. And I think some of it will be, you know, Wales going up against uh, U.S. not that, not that U S has been dominant by any means in world cup, but you know, we're big, bad U S so, you know, I think that there are some things that we'll be talking about as it relates to world cup over the next few episodes, but uh, from an on the pitch standpoint, I'm expecting it to be uh great. And yeah, it's the welcome to Wrexham is a, a great concept, uh, and a, and a great show and uh, a fascinating one at that. Um, I wanted to talk about, because it is, as we're recording this right now is, um, is the voting day, uh, here in the United States. And on the ballot in California is our two proposals. Um, uh, competing against each other, basically, for the sports betting. It's something we've mentioned uh, on the show in the past. But on the one hand, the big sports books, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Penn, Fanatics, Bally's, Wynn, um, have raised a lot of money, uh, reportedly $169 million to support what's known as uh, Proposition 27, um, that would bring online sports betting to the state. And there was a competing ballot measure as big as the money that was raised for that, that was backed by um, by uh, tribes in the state that run the casino operations. Um, and they actually spent more money uh, advertising to allow sports betting, but only on land that is controlled by the by the current casino. So um, the funny thing is after all that money, um, the, uh, the speculation is, is that we'll get voted down. So I am interested to see what the vote is going to be on that. Uh, California is our most populated state. Um, so you can imagine why the, why the sports betting companies have wanted to get gambling, uh, legal there. It's the last real, real big one. I think that, uh, that people have their eye on. Uh, so I'm very curious as to, as to what's going to shake out in the, in those votes.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing, right? That they that popular consensus at this point is that they're both going down to defeat. Now was, I'm wondering if they had combined forces, right, to try to split up what would have been or would be a huge pie. Um, if they might not have had more success in in getting a, a single sort of unified
2: measure passed. Yeah, my guess is that to your point is that this more. This delays it more than it it says that it's not going to happen. Um, there's there's you know there's too much money at stake. Uh, and I think if uh, uh, you know n- neither side getting anything out of this isn't going to be anything that uh, that anyone's happy with. So I think ultimately they'll figure it out, find a new way to get this on or a new approach to take it. I mean California's interesting with its referenda and proposals and so forth that, that get on the ballot. Um, and you know whether they'll have to you know raise a lot more money uh, for both lobbying and or advertising efforts, we'll see. but I, I don't I don't suspect that gambling sports betting, I should say. Um, isn't going to show up in California at some point, but uh, it uh, it looks like it may not may not happen just from these proposals one way or another. So with that, it is time to say goodbye already. Really appreciate Eduardo joining us to talk FIFA World Cup. Mostly though, thank you our listeners for hanging out with us for a little bit each week means a lot. We appreciate the likes, the shares, the downloads, and the engagement mostly. So until next week, I'm DP, he's McGee, and we'll talk soon.